1: Thank you for having me, Joe. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnansky, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome.
2: Thank you for having me, Joe.
1: Yes, yes. Happy
2: happy end of year.
1: Yes, holidays. (laughs) I want to say happy everything. Happy end of year. Happy holidays. Happy. Negro Leagues uh, becoming the major Leagues. thats right. huge. Yes, very big. We'll talk well, about that here in a minute. Isn't that great, though? Isn't it's great.
2: A, you know, from essentially since 2020 began, we've all been waiting for it to be over. Yes, and and now in the final days, it feels like you can—it's so close. You can taste it. Like yes. the end of 2020 <laughs> is right in front of us. And here at the very end of the year, a couple cool things have happened. That yeah, make me yeah. that that are are making me perhaps foolishly optimistic for a better 2021. Right, uh, and that was a, that was a huge one. That was a a long overdue and exciting announcement for Major League Baseball, and very very unlike Major League Baseball to do something <laughs> uh, do something cool. And uh, uh, exciting like that. So yes, that that was a that was a pleasant surprise uh, in the off of baseball in the uh, at the end of 2020.
1: Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, look, there there are uh, issues, of course. Uh, there are issues with sort of the you know even baseball just can't get out of their own way, right? No. They here they here they are making a, a long overdue but welcome announcement because it, you know I wrote this um, in the Athletic that. The easiest thing to do when you have like a long running error, you know, when I mean it's not even an error. They called it an oversight. It's not an oversight either. No. For more than a hundred years, essentially, they treated the Negro Leagues like a like a second class entity. They mm-hmm. they ignored it. They they basically stole the players that were in it. And then they they acted it as if there you know it wasn't anything it didn't exist for a long time in in the minds of of Major League Baseball and then when it did exist it existed as very much a minor league thing so you have that long run uh uh you know that that you know basically from the beginning. And and the treatment was very poor. And the easiest thing, honestly, in that circumstance is just to kind of ignore it and and pretend it never happened. And and you know, so I give Major League Baseball a ton of credit for coming out and trying to right the wrong to some degree, trying to uh, you know basically acknowledge uh, its own you know its own sins here. And and I I think that's really cool. But even even though their hearts are, I believe, very much in the right place. They had to talk about how they were elevating the Negro Leagues yeah. you know, in the announcement. Like, you're not elevating the – the Negro Leagues are what they are. You're not elevating the Negro Leagues. And then they did. They called it an oversight. Like, like like it's been in a drawer they just keep forgetting about for the last 100 years or something. Um, so they didn't quite pull it off. Uh, and there are people who who believe that it's – you know that there are some negative connotations to doing this; that they're basically trying to co-opt the story and so sure. on. I mean, you've you've read that in various places, but I think it's good. I think overall, it's very, very good. I I, I had a long conversation, um, actually a couple of conversations, one in public with uh, with Negro Leagues uh, Museum President Bob Kendrick, my dear friend, and and I think we're on the same page. It's like, look, this is this is a step, and it's a good step, and it will absolutely get more people to know about the Negro leagues to ask questions about the Negro leagues. I, I really think all in all, you know, I mean, obviously we're all very excited about the possibilities, you know, not the possibilities, the, 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 uh, you know, us having uh, some sort of, you know, several vaccines and, and where that's going and, and there's a lot to be optimistic and hopeful about. And then in the middle of, of kind of nothing in sports, uh, this news comes out, and I just thought it was a great thing. I really did.
2: You know, so I don't know if you know this, if I've mentioned it, but I'm writing a book. Have I mentioned I,
1: that? I've heard something about this. What, tell yeah. me. So,
2: <laughs> I can't believe we're going to do this for another year. Oh, we're
1: doing this another year, and then I'm going to write a book. We'll just, we'll just keep going back and forth.
2: So, uh, yeah, it's a book that is sort of about my journey through uh, a moral philosophy that I took by myself, uh, well, not by myself, with help of other people, um, in order to create the good place. And uh, so it's like sort of my understanding of ethics and moral philosophy uh, written hopefully in a way that is something that anybody can read. It's uh, I had no particular expertise in the area and it has a high barrier of entry. And I I tried to write this book in a way that people who had any kind of interest in it uh, would be able to understand and and enjoy. So it's coming out next year at some point. I don't know when, Um, but one of the things I talk about is apologizing. And how apologizing is this embarrassing, shameful thing that nobody wants to do when they screw up, but it kind of uh, is necessary. It's sort of yeah. the end. It's like the punctuation mark on the end of a sentence that allows. It doesn't. It doesn't make up for whatever you did. It doesn't change whatever you did that that was wrong or bad or that hurt someone. But it does sort of begin the process of healing a wound. And the example that I use in the book of of how uh, apologizing can be important even after a way too long a time has passed is uh, Pope John Paul II apologized to Galileo who had <laughs> 359 <laughs> years earlier uh, had been uh, accused of heresy and uh, put under house arrest for uh, having the gall to correctly point out that the earth moves around the sun and not vice versa. And he was he was uh, um, sentenced to death. It's important to note, by the way, that the Catholic Church at the time didn't study his research. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't like examine it and determine that it was scientifically inaccurate. They just heard that he said it, basically, and then and they yeah. tra- oh, tried yeah. to ki- and then tried to kill him. <laughs> so, uh, so 360 years later, uh, Pope John Paul II comes out and and apologizes and uh, and says that you know we were, we were wrong. And uh, it, it seems those things can seem um, you know foolish or silly. Like who cares? It's not like Galileo's right. descendants were still angry. Uh, Because, you know, very soon after uh, that, you know, Copernicus had said it first and then Galileo had confirmed it using an actual telescope. And uh, and, you know, it's like no very few people, let's say, uh, believe that the church was right and Galileo was wrong. Right. But it is important that institutions uh, make amends when they screw up and and uh, that's how healing begins and that's how things change for the better. And it doesn't it's symbolic largely, but it matters. And so that's what I thought when I saw yes. that that baseball had done this. It was like, you know, uh, it had been a really, really, really long time. And there isn't any necessary like there, there's not like um, a lot that can happen that is good on a tangible level. You know, certain things can happen, like you said, more attention can be brought to the Negro Leagues and certain aspects of the of the history of the game can be rewritten or at least merged. And players like Josh Gibson and Cool Papa Bell and Satchel Paige and Buck O'Neill, your friend, can start to be maybe blended into the names of the all time greats in the sport where they properly belong. Uh, But the, the point is that it is. It's just a good thing to do to um, for an institute when an institution screws up. uh, doesn't matter how long it's been. It's a good thing to do to have that institution admit fault or error. And, you know, I, I was th- the first person I thought of after I thought of, you know, Cool Papa Bell and Satchel Page and Josh Gibson and Buck O'Neill and everybody like that uh, was Ted Williams, because Ted Williams, yeah. who was a, a real son of a gun, in many ways, used his Hall of Fame induction speech in the 60s to advocate for this exact thing. He said in his speech that he thought that the the Negro League players should be elevated. I think he may have even used the word elevated um, to their proper place amongst the all time greats in the sport. And so it's wild that even a guy like Ted Williams in 1966 or whatever it was, uh, was already saying like, "Hey, it's been too long. You guys, you guys need to do this," and they just ignored it. And uh, for for sixty more years, but it really goes to show that like over time, uh, things like this can actually happen, and they can have a real effect, and they can matter. And so I'm, ha- I'm very happy about it. I, I thought it was a real, um, a real unexpected and kind of great thing that that baseball did. Uh, and it it will go a long way toward more people understanding how truly legendary and great those players were and, and how they do indeed belong to be. They, they belong alongside all of the great names of all of the historical figures that, that we think about when we think about great baseball players.
1: That's 100 percent right. You know, the Ted Williams thing was very specific to the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, he, he was. At the time, there had not been... Satchel Page was not in the Hall of Fame. Josh Gibson was not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, cool Papa Bell, Buck Leonard, the ones that would come immediately, Oscar Charleston. Uh, none of them were in the Hall of Fame. There was no Negro Leagues player in the Hall of Fame. Um, other than Jackie Robinson, uh, who obviously was not in the Hall of Fame because of, of the Negro Leagues, but because of what he did in the Major Leagues. Um, and Ted Williams made this and and against the wishes of the Hall of Fame. They asked him not to say it. And... And within five years, uh, Satchel Paige was in the Hall of Fame. So it had a direct impact and I think did begin the process of, you know, and it, it was, he always said afterward, like, ah, it was nothing. You know, it was just a couple of lines in my speech. And and in some ways that's right. But because he was Ted Williams, because, you know, of the of the respect that people had for him, uh, because he was one of the greatest players of all time, uh, and because it was sort of an unlikely source, not not to say that, Ted Williams you know Ted Williams was always uh, someone who who you know was was uh, you know he, he was very good friends with a lot of the players uh, in the Negro Leagues and and always believed that uh, he was a big supporter of Jackie Robinson and others. but even so, it's very surprising to see one of the all-time great players uh, you know ever and one of the most fascinating figures in in the history of sports, stop in the middle of a speech and basically go off on this tangent to to stand up for for, you know, for for the the great players in the Negro League. So it's uh it's it's it, it is something where you and much I think the the Galileo example is a great example. You could ask, well, what does this do? You know, what does this mean after all these years? I mean, are they are they saying now that uh, that we should forget all of that? And they i the answer to that to me, Is no, I, I think that what baseball is saying, and I do believe this comes from, from a a good place is they're saying, you know, we were, this is our fault, right? I mean, I mean, this is, this is our fault. We are acknowledging that we, uh, we not only created, uh, you know, we created the Negro leagues through intolerance and, and, and hate and, and all of that. Not only that. But we have for all of these years acted as if they didn't, you know that they were less than and and to come forward and do it like this, like I say I, I it's not it's not without its problems, it's not without its challenges. there are there are undoubtedly going to be people that are going to come forward and and from both sides, those that are going to say that, oh, come on, you' you're just you're now trying to to, you know pretend like like, like the Negro Leagues, uh, you know, were were always fine, and and it was a major league, or blah blah blah. And you're gonna have those that are gonna complain when when numbers get changed, and 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 those people are gonna say, oh, the Negro Leagues were that wasn't a real major league. You guys are just doing this for for political correctness or whatever. You're gonna get it from both sides to some degree, but only it matters. I, I think, like I say, I think that that they come from a from a good place and uh and I give them a lot of credit for this I think it was a, a, it was it was somewhat courageous uh after all of these years to finally acknowledge without really prompting I mean it wasn't like there was a lot of pressure on them they just came forward and did this and I and I I really applaud them for it
2: yeah I mean that's that's the defense of it the the other side of it would be like this has been out there for decades. Yes. <laughs> like no, no, that's been, right. That's it's right. It's just been sitting there waiting <laughs> for decades for them to do something like this. A largely symbolic gesture like this, but again, better late than never. Good job. Right. Like that's a, at least a, it's a step in the right direction is what it is.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. We're going to have a draft here in a uh, few minutes, but first I I opened it up uh, to people to ask questions. This is our final podcast of, of this wretched, uh, 2020 year. And, uh, and so I opened it up to people to ask us some questions. You ready for some questions?
2: Yeah, hit me, baby.
1: <laughs> Let's go. All right. Rodney wants to know which is better the North pole or the South pole.
2: Oh man. I think the South pole is better. Uh, I think the North pole gets yeah? all the, gets all the hype, you know, that's like, what it
1: is. That's right. That's it's cause, right.
2: Of, cause of Santa and and because that because it's just uh I think there's a general sort of northern hemisphere bias in the world yeah. for some reason but I think the south pole is better it's a little more exotic it's a little more interesting you know there's penguins down there uh it, there's a lot of there's a, it's it feels more um it feels more unexplored you know that I feel like a, a lot of hype it was surrounded the expedition to the North Pole yeah and so it, it was like that okay fine great yes they you got there first but the South Pole is where it's at I think the South Pole <laughs> is cooler I don't know if it's better but I think it's cooler
1: yeah yeah I, well I think that's right I think the the North Pole is Minneapolis and the South Pole is St Paul right I mean it's sort of like I think that uh you know Minneapolis gets a lot of the hype yeah uh and they get the teams mostly there you know put put there in Minneapolis but St Paul is where it's at. I, yeah, I,
2: like the I cool just, kids, yeah. the cool kids are going to the South Pole. You know, <laughs> that's like, right. They, everybody that's knows, right. It's like that's like you go to the North Pole. The tourists go to the North Pole. Like, <laughs> the, the, the,
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. The North Pole more of a tourist trap, and yeah. the South Pole is is genuine and real. It's it's uh, it's the village. Yeah, the North. Right. The, North uh, the North Pole
2: is like uh, the North Pole is Times Square. Times and Square. The, there the, you, South, yeah. the South Pole is like a cool like jazz cafe down in <laughs> down in some like weird neighborhood in, in Brooklyn.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, Ross wants to know, what is your problem with John Fogarty That This is this is, I guess, more directed to me, although I don't know. How do you feel about John Fogarty's center field
2: I mean, you know, it's one of the only songs about baseball. Yeah. Uh, so I have a sort of soft spot in my heart for it. I know that you, you, you should speak to this, though, because this yeah, is beat. No, it's is me. A it's in directly in to body. me. No, yeah. I hate it. I
1: hate that song. I absolutely hate the song. And, and actually, if we're going to do this, probably I ought to save... My full Fogarty rant for when Brandon McCarthy's on here because Brandon essentially says he quit baseball because of the song. Like, that was, he'd heard it just enough times that he's like, all right, enough of, of this game. <laughs> this is, it's just, it's just bad. It's a bad song. It doesn't really make any sense. And, and, and I, uh, I, I, you know what? I am going to save it. I'm going to save it for when Brandon's on here. Cause I want Brandon. Are you to...
2: sure you don't want to give a little oversight, <laughs> a little overview rather?
1: It's, it's, Oh God. I, you know, here, here's the thing. Uh, here, here's the thing about, about center field. Um, first of all, let's, let's go through a couple of, since we're going to do it. Let's do it. Let's go through a all couple right. of the, of the lyrics. Okay. Uh, there's, you know, this whole thing, first of all, so we're born again. There's new grass on the field. Fine, whatever. A rounding third. I'm heading for home. It's a brown-eyed handsome man. Anyone can understand the way I feel. What the hell is he talking about? Meaningless.
2: Utterly meaningless.
1: <laughs> it's meaningless. It's me. It's more meaningless than Megan's joke. It's more <laughs> meaningless than that. <laughs> By the way, were you were you were you happy to relive? So for those of you who missed it a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned uh, on the uh, on the podcast that. Mike's angriest moments in the writer's rooms, uh, one of his angriest moments in the writer's room was was uh, this big argument that he had about a joke Megan Amram uh, wrote for Bad Santa 2, which apparently did, is, is, am I right in saying that it did not actually even make it into Bad Santa 2?
2: I believe that's correct. I didn't see the film, but it was in the trailer and that I don't think it, was it in the trailer. made it into the movie. Yeah
1: right and it's it you believe it's utter gibberish and complete nonsense. and and this and you say this as maybe the world's biggest admirer of Megan Amra. This is nothing to do with Megan I, 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 is-
2: I, I, uh, there's no larger admirer of her writing than me I I truly think she's right. a, a gifted uh, borderline genius she, comedy yes. writer. but she wrote a joke uh, if you didn't hear it, the joke is I ate so much turkey bacon. I once ate so much turkey bacon. I didn't poop for 2 weeks for 4 weeks. <laughs> right. That's and everybody the joke. everybody always laughs when you say it because it yeah. it's it's just the the it scrambles your brain and makes you think it makes sense but the, right. but if you but it doesn't actually make any sense and the, we had we debated this probably once a week for 4 years. It's and I it's,
1: hate it. <laughs> you hate it you hate the joke. You hate truly hate the joke. People were writing in, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, people were writing in trying to like explain it. And like yeah. one guy like came out and showed it in mathematical terms, how it's funny. Uh, another person said that it's funny because of uh, uh, the grammar, that grammatically it's very funny because of the way that the, that you use the commas in it. Um, I believe they put more thought into it than Megan did writing the joke. Is what oh, I'm, no is question. What I'm saying.
2: Yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> the, Megan put zero thought into it. Uh, well, I, I look. I, I all I can tell you, I didn't see those responses. But all I can tell you is, there's no amount of analysis that anyone can do that we didn't do. Like we, <laughs> we, we had charts and graphs and matrices on the, written on our board, and we. We examined it grammatically, mathematically, scientifically. Like, there's no angle on this joke we didn't examine. And it's
1: not funny at the end of the day.
2: It's not that it's not funny because a collection of words, Dennis Miller has proved this many times, (laughs) a a collection of words that don't actually make sense can be arranged in a way that hits your brain and makes you laugh. It it can evoke a response. That doesn't mean... my my. My beef with it isn't whether it's funny. My beef with it is whether it makes any actual sense, whether it right. means anything. And it doesn't. And <laughs> there's no amount of analysis that can prove that it actually does mean something.
1: You know, it reminds me of uh, Roy Williams when he was, you know now he's the basketball coach in North Carolina, Hall of Fame or whatever. When he was a uh, basketball coach at Kansas, uh, people would come up to him. And, my, and, and Roy, is, Roy is a brilliant coach, obviously, uh, but he's also a very sensitive person. And... People would come up to him from, you know, fans, and they would say, oh, coach, great to see you. And they would start by saying something to the effect of, "Uh, coach, uh, hey, have you ever thought about, like, doing something? Like, hey, have you ever thought about putting Paul Pierce at center or whatever? It's like, have you ever thought about, and he would stop him, and he goes, whatever you've thought about, I've thought about. Yeah. There is literally, it is my job 24 hours a day. There is no way you thought of something that I haven't thought about. I always,
2: you know, every once in a while you'll read a story about a hitter. Usually it's it usually this is a baseball story. Yes. Um a hitter who's in a slump who gets a letter from a random <laughs> yes. fan yes. that says like, "Hey, your your elbow's too high or your hands are aren't you're not you're not, you know, rolling your wrists or whatever." And then they break out of the slump and they attribute it to this random fan who was like, "I noticed X Y and Z thing, you know." And yeah. um and I always wonder whether that's actually The case or whether it's just the guy broke out of a slump and it happened to coincide with reading one of those letters, because it's just so hard for me to believe that a professional athlete who's in a slump in whatever his or her sport is wouldn't. Have thought like, oh maybe it's my wrists or maybe right, it's my elbow. Right. Like I just it's just so hard to imagine. Yeah, I
1: don't I don't buy it. I think it's I think it's mostly storytelling, I think yeah. that, which is fine. I mean, you know, I the there I've heard a few of those. Golf has a lot of those, like, oh, have you thought about putting with one eye open or whatever? You know, it's it's fine, but but that stuff's come on. These guys, yeah. they're they're thinking about it twenty four hours a day. It's true, and it's there's all just they no, do. It it's is all they do. Literally they, all they, they do. They
2: think about those things to the ex, at the expense of every other thing in the world. Like they don't they don't read books. They don't like watch the news. They don't no. play the flute. They don't do no. anything. They they only think about what it is that they're doing athletically. So the idea that someone could spot something that they didn't spot especially nowadays I maybe that was maybe there was there was more of a chance of this being true like in the 1970s or 80s or something but now you know there's there's high speed camera right. like dig- digital replay of every single aspect there's there's teams of scientists who do nothing but break down the mechanics of everything they do there's no chance that somebody some random fan happens to notice you know that Damian Lillard's elbow is is too tucked into his body on his yeah. on his jump shot or whatever like forget it
1: people usually credit either a letter or they'll credit their spouse right for coming up with it you know they'll be like oh i was at home and and my wife said to me like oh, i've noticed that you're you're not tapping your toe and you know and then that changes everything and again, Well that's
2: I, that's more believable know. only because uh, close uh, friends and and loved ones are also probably roughly speaking as enmeshed in the that's mechanics true. of your that's game true. as you are but the the random fan thing, I I uh, I take issue
1: there's, with that. Th- let's just say the bottom line: there's no chance a random fan has thought of the Megan Amram joke more than you have. There's just no oh, possibility. That's,
2: <laughs> not, that's right. That's really what we're talking about. Actually, really what we're talking about is the song "Center Field" by John Fogerty. Well, okay,
1: which 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 leads into the the one more. I'm gonna do one more lyric. Just uh, just. I man do I hate this song. When I spent some time in the Mudville Nine, okay, so now the, the singer apparently is was in the Mudville Nine, apparently, mm-hmm. watching it from the bench. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know I took some lumps when the mighty Casey struck out. Okay. Okay, so he was on the Mudville Nine with Mighty Casey. Apparently. But but
2: by the way, he he was on the Mudville Nine, but he was apparently a role player. He was like a, he, was, he was
1: like <laughs> he wasn't he couldn't get in right. Well, get that's in. the thing. He's so, asking the coach to put him in, I guess. So that's well, like
2: the it. the lumps he took when Casey struck out were like oh well, like it's not he didn't it wasn't embarrassing for him. He was a he's like a fifth outfielder on the team. <laughs>
1: I was gonna say, what, do you think anybody came up to him and mocked him because Mighty Casey struck out? I don't yeah. think so. So say hey, Willie. Tell Ty Cobb and Joe DiMaggio okay Don't say it ain't so. you know the time is now. This is the Megan Amram joke. It yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. none.
2: So he played none. on he played on the Mudville nine right But then he addresses in order <laughs> Willie Mays. Right, most most associated with you would say the nineteen fifties.
1: Yeah, I would say the fifties, sixties, then tight.
2: And tell Ty Cobb, <laughs> Ty most, Cobb from m- Deadball, right. from the Deadball era, and right. Joe DiMaggio from the
1: thirties and forties, 30s and
2: forties. Yeah. And, and then he says, "Don't say it ain't so," a reference to the Black Sox scandal of nineteen nineteen <laughs> or whatever it was. That's and, right. And, That's right. And, and then he, and then it ends with, "You know, the time is now." What, what does which, that mean? Which only is in there because it vaguely rhymes with struck out. <laughs> it's just it's it's so lazy. It's just it's just a a a miserable pastiche of random baseball oh, references it, all cobbled together in a way that barely holds together as anything.
1: It doesn't even hold together, and that's my point. My point is, it's only celebrated because, as you say, there are so few baseball songs. It's like if, in fact, to all of the great. You know, like to Jason Isbell, who's a baseball fan, dude. The opportunity is there. Write the baseball song that matters. Yeah. Write the baseball song. Get rid of this. Let's get rid of this somehow. And and Jason should write the great baseball song that we so we can listen to it. It'd be great because up until now, like the only other like possibility, I guess, was that we're talking baseball song, right? I mean, like that's the only other. Baseball thing, like we're talking baseball, Willie, M- Mickey, and the Duke. That right, song, right? Like that's it. Like that was the only competition. This is a wide open field for for
2: the uh, the for funniest that. thing about this is the the baseball song that I so, that I like the most isn't even a baseball song. It's the song uh, "The Bug" by Dire Straits. <laughs> yes, which is like a late Dire Straits song that has nothing to do with baseball, but is right. a good song. I really like it. But for some reason. Dire Straits, a very British band, when they made the video for that song, it was nothing but like sports. It was baseball bloopers. It was just yes. nothing but baseball bloopers. And I don't know why they did that. There were actually, if I remember correctly, and I may not, there were two videos to that song. There was a there was their their main video. And then they released like an alternate video. There was nothing but like four minutes of sports bloopers. I
1: remember that one. I don't even yeah. remember the other one. There was yeah.
2: an, I'm pretty sure there was another one. I could be wrong, but. I now when I hear that song, which isn't very often that you hear the bug by Dire Straits, <laughs> but I I think of baseball because they I don't know why I guess maybe uh you know that it, it somehow they crossed over into American I it should be all cricket bloopers obviously, right. <laughs> <laughs> but they 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 did a baseball blooper video and it was delightful and I loved when it came on because it was it was you didn't get to see those bloopers very often you only saw them on the whatever this the the, the nbc game of the week uh they would do sometimes in the pregame they would do bloopers right or week. or if
1: it or if it uh if you had a rain out you had this week in baseball that's
2: right this week in baseball would do it yep but uh but it was really uh that that to me is the best baseball song even though <laughs> the actual song has nothing to do with baseball
1: actually like the end of the of the uh of this week in baseball that gathering uh, crowd song that little like I, i'm not gonna sing it but it's like that it's an instrumental Uh, That was probably not associated with baseball at all until it got put at the end of this week in baseball. And uh, it's fantastic. But yeah, no, look, we, we have discussed on this podcast, something about baseball turns like even great artists into into just kind of shells of themselves. We've talked about it. I mean, I, I can't deny Bruce Springsteen called it a speedball. I mean Bruce Springsteen couldn't even come up with a great baseball song so. speedball speedball <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm not defending it anymore. I'm tired. All right uh Adam wants to know what would Ron Swanson's response to Jeremy Jam refusing to wear a mask be? There you go. That seems like we're going in. What would Ron Swanson, how would Ron Swanson feel about uh, about uh, mask wearing?
2: Okay, so this is tricky, right? Ron is a libertarian, not in the fake uh, 21st century American political sense, but in the actual like 19th century survivalist sense. Right. So he uh, he bristles at anything that restricts his freedom. Right. Uh, to do what he wants. And so he wouldn't want to wear a mask either and right. would probably just retreat to his cabin, which he <laughs> liked to do anyway. And just he would just wait it out alone, hunting and killing his own meat for survival <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and generally sort of living off the grid. Now, the tricky thing with Ron, and this was sort of the evolution of the character, was that he got married to a woman uh, played by Lucy Lawless who had two children. And they have... Things They would be having things like, you know, uh, remote learning. And his wife was a a guidance counselor, a teacher, worked at a middle school. And so he would probably begrudgingly understand that his way of doing things wasn't the way that everyone had to do things. Right. Um, And so for Jeremy Jam, who was the 21st century libertarian, quote, libertarian, end quote, version, which is to say a person who uh, instead of. Actually, believing in unrestricted freedom simply believed that he should be able to do anything he wanted to and enrich himself at the expense of other people, which is how libertarianism <laughs> usually goes these days. So, he would, I'm sure, say that if Jeremy Jam wanted to, Jeremy Jam would have played by John Glazer, uh, would have been one of those people who walked into a Trader Joe's and without a mask and started screaming at all oh, the yes. people <laughs> around him. Um, So, uh, you know, he would, Ron wouldn't, uh, I think, have a lot of patience for that attitude based on his, um, based on his, you know, uh, he he would say to Jeremy Jam, if you don't want to wear a mask, that's fine. But you have to stay in your house. You have to stay in your house. That's right. Never leave.
1: Never leave Uh, your home.
2: And in general, I think his response to most things Jeremy Jam did would (laughs) be the response that he actually gave when Jeremy Jam drunkenly interrupted Leslie and Ben's wedding, which was. He would warn him several times that he needed to take his business elsewhere, and then if Jam refused, he would punch him in the face. <laughs> that's a, I think that's probably your answer, ultimately, uh, assuming that he didn't ever listen to Reason.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And and I definitely think what Ron would not do is go in public without a mask. Like, I don't believe he would do that. No, he would, he, he didn't he like to
2: would, go in public for any reason. So Right, so exactly, he, yes. exactly.
1: So he would see this as a great opportunity. Uh, all right, this is from a guy, Sep- Sepinwall. Sepinwall. Alan Seppinwall. Okay. My question is this, am I allowed to ask questions on the podcast during my two-year ban from the podcast? For those of you who missed it, uh, Alan was banned for two years uh, from the podcast uh, for uh, his uh, bizarre uh, choosing of all of the Christmas... <laughs> all of the christmas episodes of the west wing as his favorite christmas and uh, favorite holiday movie. Yes. That was that's what he chose. So, it's a good question though. Is he allowed to ask questions? In fact, should we even legally be accepting this question?
2: We shouldn't, no. And the asking of this question during the two-year ban doubles the penalty, so it's now a four-year ban. 4
1: years. Ah. Sorry about that, Alan. I, 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 you know what? I didn't do you right. I should have. I should have. Um, you should have
2: protected him. Yeah, you should have. Should I should have protected
1: him. by ignoring his question <laughs> in the first place. That's what I should have done. Well, so you know, c'est la vie. too late. Now. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Samuel wants to know: Will there be baseball expansion by twenty thirty, and where? It's a good question. It's an interesting question, Samuel. Um, from my end, I would say there is a very good chance there will be. I don't know about expansion, but about teams moving or there being some sort of rearrangement of of things Uh, I think there's a pretty good chance over the next 10 years that would happen I don't like expansion the problem with expansion is you've got to figure out what's going on with some teams that are really struggling like Tampa Bay uh, not struggling on the field but off the field Miami's kind of a mess Cleveland these days is is, uh, looking shakier um, and so on but i think that there are some some really good markets out there like nashville uh san antonio you know buffalo i think was was it was very interesting what what happened with buffalo this past year with them hosting the blue jays um montreal of course is is always i think on the mind so i think there might be some movement but expansion seems it seems like they're already they're already pushing the envelope a little bit on on how many teams i think 32 is more is perfect it's it's a much better a number for them, but uh, that could be tough. What do you think, Mike?
2: Well, the problem is there's a few problems. Number one, they currently have 30 teams, six divisions, five teams per division. They finally That's got true. rid of that awful thing where there were six yeah. uh, NL Central teams. Was it NL Central or AL Central? Yes. Like, yeah, NL Central teams. They they finally yeah. rearranged them. They now have a decent uh, sort of outlay in terms of how where the regions are and there's an even number of teams in each division so if you expand you got it you have to go to you have to do 32 you can't do you can't do one so you have to do two and right. then go to go to what football has which is four divisions in each league with you know four teams in each which division which is cool which is, which, which which is, which is a would, great number it would yeah. be fine the, the, but i think the other i mean look th- these leagues are rapacious capitalistic swamp monster run uh, uh, organizations that are constantly expanding. That's all they do is expand like they right. they need more, more teams, more games, more revenue, longer playoffs like you're like the the COVID pandemic essentially gave the NFL owners the thing that they had desperately wanted forever, which was an expanded playoff. Uh, and so they have seven teams making the playoffs this year instead of six. The NFL playoff system, as we've talked about before, is perfect at six. It is absolutely perfect. When there are six teams, because every single slot matters, right? That the top two teams get a bye, but the top team gets home field throughout the playoffs. The three plays the sixth, the four plays the five. So the the two division, what you have an incentive to win your division, which right. is that you start your playoffs at home, and then you have two wild card teams who are who are. So you have an incentive even if you're not going to win your division to still try to win it really is a perfect system. Every single one of the six teams has something to play for. You now have this weird system with seven uh, yes. in the NFL playoffs where, okay, only, only the top team gets a buy. So they so the difference between finishing second and third, isn't that huge. Nope. Like it's, it's kind of, it kind of screwed everything up, but it doesn't matter because all they care about is one more playoff game. That, yes. That's a, a, a 12% advancement in their revenue for the year, blah, 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 blah. So will they try to expand baseball of course they will they they want to do it every year they want more sure. more 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 teams more playoffs more revenue more markets more local revenue more revenue sharing with jerseys and merchandise and everything else but i i don't know right now i mean you don't have that there are like nashville is a good example and san antonio is a good example but are they going to put another team in texas i guess they could like I mean, Texas it, is huge, but, but it's, yeah, it is—it's a- enormous. But you have to play indoors in Texas, like you have to build an indoor stadium, and those are really expensive. And the econ- the 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 economies of of various states right now. In fact, all the states are—they're—they're they're really hurting, and these guys don't like to build stadiums unless they're publicly financed, which is a huge scam, huge <laughs> like scam. absolutely drives <laughs> cities into into endless amounts of uh, bankruptcy and financial strain at the expense of things like schools and hospitals and roads and bridges. So I I don't know. Uh, 2030 is is a long way away. And, and hopefully the country's economy looks very different, you know, uh, long before that than it does right, right. now. So I would, if you were a betting man or a woman, I think you do bet on expansion because it's a thing that every league constantly wants all the time. I don't know how feasible it is right now, especially because with the recent, um, you know, uh, stadium builds in places like Atlanta and Cobb County, where they just absolutely ramrodded that stadium through without any debate. And they're going to be paying it off in Atlanta and Miami and these places where these municipalities are going to be paying off massive amounts of, of, of bonds and loans for decades and decades and decades, (laughs) like long, like the, the, all of the current Roth players on all of these rosters will be retired and their kids will have come up and their kids (laughs) will have retired by the time these loans are paid off. Uh, So I, I just, I think it might be a tough sell right now to publicly finance a 500 million dollars 600 million dollar stadium for a new team in an untested market i don't know
1: no I mean, question no i think that's right look i think if baseball really is serious about it they will reconstruct the schedule i mean i think that nashville charlotte you know where i live uh san antonio montreal buffalo uh these are mainly the cities that you hear oklahoma city i guess to some degree. 81 home games, a lot of home games for those markets. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's Charlotte has had, you know, ups and downs, but had, you know, quite a bit of success, especially early with the NBA as far as, you know, filling stadiums and all that. That's 40 games. I mean, you know, the, the, that's that's a very, very different ask of any market. You know, Nashville is a great market and and obviously wide open uh, right now. So it's, it seems like it's, uh, you know, other than the predators, I mean, it feels like that's a a market that, that is, is there for the taking, but, and they are making efforts to bring baseball to Nashville, but, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a tougher sell when it's, when it's that many games. And then of course the stadiums are a big issue. And then, like I say, it's not like baseball doesn't have problem teams. Now they do. There, there are, there are several teams that, uh, you know you just don't know how they're going to come through uh, over the next uh, you know few years. So, uh I think the one thing that we can definitely say is that you're 100% right. They're going to try. They're going to try to expand, yeah. you know, whether they can pull it off, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Uh Andy wants to know, is Mike ready to trade in his Patriots fandom, which is which is fading, I would say anyway, <laughs> and has been for years, for the Browns. Welcome to the Cleveland Browns. Well, as
2: you know, if you're a listener to this uh, podcast, I, I, I don't really actively root for the Patriots anymore. That's right. Um, in, a, in any kind of meaningful way. I don't watch the games uh, and I don't I, I didn't really um, I, I, I don't really follow the team. Uh, I still, you know, there it's like a part of my soul. In a way that, like, if you were if you got divorced, your ex spouse would be a part of your soul, <laughs> right? Um, but I my my recent sports fandom in general has much more um, is has been much more about wanting teams that have never won certain things or gotten to a certain place or who've been in a drought to end the drought because uh, yes. we've and we this is a thing we've talked about a lot. My least favorite narrative in sports is quote can't win the big one end quote. I hate it. Right. I hate it in, in every, I hate it in sports. I don't even really follow like golf. I hate it in golf when there's a, a <laughs> player who's like, no, that guy can't win a major. It's like, yes, he can. Of course he can. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, he's one of the top, like Sergio Garcia. Like this guy's right. been a top 20 player in golf for, for, you know, for 15 years or whatever. So in, in the sense of it, to whatever degree I have football fandom at this point, it is a hundred percent on the side of teams like the Browns. Uh, wanting the Browns, I, I was very happy when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. Yes, um, I would be thrilled if the Browns won. this. I mean, I'm happy the Brown. I would be happy if the Bills won the Super Bowl. That would be yeah. wonderful. Like, sure. I, how great would it be if the if the Buffalo Bills won the Super Bowl this year? Um, so yeah, my to that extent, yes. But I'm I'm way more interested in teams with long championship droughts breaking those droughts than I am with like my team winning. And I say this from a position of extreme privilege, which is the Patriots won a hundred Super Bowls and the Red Sox have won four world series (laughs) and the Bruins won a Stanley cup and the Celtics won a championship cut 12 years ago. Like I don't have any uh, personal drought that I need to break. So no, I'm able to take this enlightened uh, approach to sports (laughs) fandom in a way that other people uh, are not, but um, yes, I would love it if the Brown. I'm ha- very happy the Browns are going to make the playoffs, and they're are- and all likely going to host a playoff game, right? They're going to.
1: It's it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, to oh, hope wait, because right. it, because the Steelers are, are have basically wrapped up the division, so they'll right. be a wild card so, team. And
2: I, I keep forgetting that they that the uh, yeah they, that's changed right. they, the they changed the whole thing. thing.
1: I know which kind of stinks, but but people should know that that virtually every Sunday, I'll, Mike will send me some sort of Browns text. I mean, they, yeah, they, when I when, when I watch
2: when I watch football, I watch those teams. I watch the yeah. Browns and I watch the Bills because those two teams are the two teams that I'm the most invested in right now.
1: Matt wants to know, how is Ken Tremendous's book coming which you've already talked a little bit about? Any books you are working on, Joe? Hmm. So so yeah, so I should tell people since I I've, I've announced it on Twitter, I guess. Uh The Baseball 100, uh, which was my series of the 100 Greatest Baseball Players Ever that I wrote for uh, The Athletic, is going to be a book that is going to come out this October. Uh, The Baseball 100 is going to come out uh, sometime, hopefully early October, right around when the playoffs uh, start rolling. And uh, it is going to, uh, we are still working on how to make this work because uh, for those of you who followed along, you might know that that book was uh, just about 300,000 words long. <laughs> that's I just I I cannot believe I wrote 300,000 words in like 100 days about that's just what what is wrong with me. So, uh so I'm very excited. I'm very excited it's going to uh, we're hoping to add a few fun uh fun uh, things if you are one of the uh, insane people who read all uh, all 100 of those. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, we're going to add some fun stuff. We've got a very very cool guy who is uh, going to write the uh, the introduction so uh very exciting so that's coming out in October and uh I'm glad I can announce it, and then you—you you don't know when your book is coming out yet.
2: No, oh, first of all, I'm so glad you got Rob Manfred to write the introduction. That's really cool.
1: <laughs> well, I've been—I've been asking. I've been asking him. Look, you got Goodell to write yours, so I mean, I figured I was just trying to match.
2: So Goodell, trying is to match. More, Goodell is more. more like a, a co-author of my book, honestly. Like, <laughs> he, with the collaboration is so intense and so. He's uh, the
1: he's he's the one that's bringing the morality to
2: yeah, your, to your yeah. thing.
1: I mean, he's he's the one that's bringing the moral value. Well, when
2: and, you think when you think like when you think. Ethics. You think yes. NFL. You go right to the NFL. <laughs> first, and you, first thing. Yeah, first thing. Uh, my <laughs> book is likely going to be out around the same time as yours. A little later, I think. I think it's scheduled for November, but there's no set date yet.
1: Great. So it's, it'll just be a huge competition between us because they're very similar That's uh, right. books.
2: Yeah, they're in the same They're competing in the same space. Yeah.
1: We're going to work out some sort of thing where you can buy uh, the two books at a special discount. Price.
2: Oh, that'd be
0: great. A, pos- be great a, a podcast
1: price. You get a podcast <laughs> price.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's Game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall, Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break, alley hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam, seals Game 5 and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login (laughs) for the good stuff. and the confusion, and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package.
1: Dan wants to know, how has the pandemic impacted Fremulon Insurance? That's a good question.
2: Uh, Well, you know, like every company, obviously, we've had our challenges. Um, Fremulon is a pension fund monitoring company. We monitor other companies' pension funds uh, and and make sure that they're invested properly. And so obviously, you know, pension funds, like everything else, have taken a huge hit recently. Um, but, you know, look, we can work remotely. We're very lucky. The work can be done from home. So, <laughs> you know, we have over 70,000 employees uh, in over 120 countries around the world. I
1: didn't realize it was that big. I, you really expanded it's it in a, the last it's year. It's a
2: huge company, yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's an enormous company. It's 70,000 employees, 120 countries. And you know, we just all basically shifted to uh, to remote work, and you know, a lot of Zooms. You know, we're on a lot of Zooms, (laughs) and uh, all those Zooms, all those Zooms. You know, and I've I've got you know, I gotta do Zooms sometimes at two in the morning with our with our people who are in uh, in 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 Botswana and uh, in (laughs) VN ten and all these places. And uh, so it's you know, it's not easy, but like we can't complain. The company's doing okay. We're a very conservative company, you know. We we really are. Um, we don't we don't take risks. We our noses are clean when right. it comes to things like uh, you know like the financial scandal in in oh seven oh eight. We were we we came through that very well because we're very conservative. We don't buy risky stuff. We don't advise our clients to get involved in in risky financial instruments. So um, people trust. Basically, people trust us. That's what it really comes down to.
1: Well. That's you know, isn't that your isn't that your like your tagline like trust. Your motto it's like just people, trust yeah, yeah right trust it's just trust, trust. Uh, if you, Fremulon if Insurance if you've
2: trust. seen our ads it just says you know Fremulon Insurance trust with a period right. after it <laughs> that's uh, it
1: so. <laughs> <laughs> you, and you know I mean I've 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 long wanted to know you know because. You're not really active in the advertising space the way a Geico or a, or a uh, uh, you know others like that are. You 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 tend to you guys you guys are very conservative when it comes to that kind of thing. Well,
2: again, it's not you know Geico, they're in a different space, right? Because they're they're just they're they're direct to consumer, uh, right? Uh, you know, uh, insurance. We're not we don't offer insurance. We monitor the pension funds uh, right. of of companies like we and we insure them. So. You know, we're you might see our ads at like on the senior golf tour. You know, we, add, yes. we advertise the advertiser. Oh, that's where right I usually there.
1: see them. Yeah, that's usually <laughs> where I've seen them. Usually yeah. when they're talking about Hal Irwin, and then boom, right to Formula. insurance are. And
2: and, you know. and like if you were, if you were in Europe and you were watching uh, Formula One racing, you would see yes. our ads there. So it's 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 not direct to consumer. Like you, you know, listening to this, you can't use our product like it's unless you're like unless you're the cfo of a company then you could (laughs) then you could use us because really what we're doing is more on a corporate level
1: yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I mean, that's certainly the, your reputation is your reputation is pretty spotless. Let's be honest.
2: Yeah, let's I mean, be honest. And, and obviously, that's not all we do. We also uh, we make laser guided weapon systems for military contractors. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but but that's
1: really a small part of your company.
2: That's a small part, but a growing part. Honestly, uh, <laughs> that's that's a, where our, a lot of our revenue growth has been is the laser guided weapon systems.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, very well respected in the uh, in the. Uh, international weapon making that's the right. uh, defense the very defense
2: much. contacting trade is, is a booming <laughs> business right now so you know we have a, we have contracts with most of the G20 uh and and it it is it is a very it's a rapidly growing business and but some people gotta be. well some people say you know do you have any ethical quandaries there you know making laser guided weapon systems for uh for these governments and the answer quite frankly is no we see no problem with it it's uh <laughs> you know it's mutually assured destruction and i think that that kind of dynamic balance is what keeps the global geopolitical sure. uh, sphere really in check and so do we feel bad about making laser guided weapon systems for for uh for not only the russian government but for for various uh sort of black market um, well what about the black offshoots? market
1: part of it yeah,
2: yeah. no but again that they keep you know the 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 militias and the <laughs> the sort of sects that have broken off and are headquartered in various caves and mountains all through the Caucasus Mountains uh there what's keeping in our mind what's right? keeping the the state governments of that region in check because sure, they it's sure. they know, you know, the state governments know that if they <laughs> start messing around and, and launching attacks that these these paramilitary groups uh, throughout, you know, Central Asia uh, are gonna yeah. they have the ability to fight back. And so we think we think it's actually basically a peaceful mission that we're on it,
1: it so, is you know? it is i i don't know about you guys working also uh as of recently with some of those paramilitary groups as well that that felt a little bit off well to me, you, you maybe. say that but you know the
2: paramilitary <laughs> groups form of they have a very specific function in the in the in the geopolitical military sphere they they really are um they're a a check and a balance against bad actors within actual states and institutions and so do we again? Do we feel bad about designing uh, drones with lasers uh, and sending them to uh, random, you know, uh, groups out throughout Central America, South America, uh, East Asia, um, sure. South Asia, Central Asia, Western Europe, Middle East, uh, the Middle East, um, uh, Eastern Africa, Southern Africa, Western Africa, <laughs> Australia, New Zealand, um, America itself, Canada. Um, no, we don't feel bad about that. No, we, th- we, we, think, we think that if basically this is the way we, we feel about it at Framulon. If everyone has a <laughs> drone army that can, right. fire, that can fire lasers and destroy buildings, then no one will use them, right? That's, that's, that's... that's, that's our feeling is if everyone has them, then no one will use them because yeah. one person or one group using them will inevitably lead to everyone using them. And then it yes. will just be this kind of nightmare hellscape where every single country on Earth will be sending armies of drones with lasers at each other, and then you know where would that leave us? Obviously, nobody wants that. Uh, nobody, nobody yeah. wants that.
1: That's so, the thing. It's only because nobody wants that. So there you go. That's right. Uh, that's the that's the update on Fremulon Insurance. Uh, Sam, Sam wants to know. Oh, Mike Trump versus Mookie Betts debate question. Great. Ooh. What do we got? <clears throat> For those of you that don't know, we have uh, been uh, debating. Who is the best player in baseball, Mike Trout uh, or Mookie Betts? And we've uh, done this, we've done it. Uh, I would say in the most sort of conventional way, mm-hmm. but but there are questions. So here's the Mike Trout versus Mookie Betts debate, Betts debate question: Who would you ra- <clears throat> who would you rather pick you up, take you to the airport?
2: Uh, that's got to be Trout. I Ooh, think. interesting. <laughs> yeah, because
1: you you just feel he's going to be there on time. <clears throat>
2: Yeah, he's going to he's going to have a plan, you know, he's going to have he's going to have laid out the most efficient route Uh, he's going to have accounted for traffic and obviously weather delays on your flight. He'll be tracking the departure time of your flight from the from the minute that you contract him to be the one to drive you to the airport. Right. Betts, the problem with Betts, I think Betts would do a great job, obviously. He's of one of he's, would. he's one they're, of the best players to, in baseball. He's not gonna there do are a two bad of the job. best players in baseball. Yeah. You're not
1: gonna get you're gonna get a good job. But
2: the the problem I I foresee with bets is he picks you up and it's so fun when you're in the car with him driving <laughs> to the airport, you like lose all track of time. Oh and then yeah. you know what he says, like, hey, let's <laughs> take this cool back road or whatever, yes, and, like let's go like yes. I've I've heard about this like cool. Building that, like I really want to check out, and you and you guys just end up driving and talking and driving and talking, and you look up and you've missed your flight by three hours, right? And
1: or or what about the possibility of him pulling in to the uh, to the you know you you're in the terminal, he pulls you into the terminal. And then you guys like, but you're in the middle of a conversation and you kind of just keep talking. They say, yeah, let's go around one more time. And then you go around one more time and then you go around again and then you get stuck in traffic and then you miss your flight. That could happen. Yeah. Or like,
2: or he, you know, he, you're, you're driving along and he's like, where are you going? And you're like, I got to go to St. Louis for a, you know, for a a business thing. And he goes, oh yeah, St. Louis is a great town, you know, whatever. And then he's like, you know what, you know where I just was that I loved is Calgary. I was so great. Yeah. They have such cool restaurants and and a beautiful, just beautiful mountain ranges and everything. And he starts selling you on Calgary, and then one thing leads to another, and you just decide not. you decide to go to Calgary? You're just you like I, Mookie. Yes. Bets makes Calgary sound so great. I'm going to Calgary, and you you just trade and you're taking. And then your boss calls you and is like, "Where the hell are you?" And you're like, "Like I can't explain this, <laughs> but I'm in Calgary with Mookie Bets." You know, like you just it, it's the the risk of the joy that you would feel. Yes, by yes. being with Mookie is just too. We with the airport is about. It's about it's about uh, precision, it's about timing, it's about uh, efficiency, and uh, Trout's your guy for that. I think that you're rolling the dice if you let Mookie drive you to the airport.
1: Well, th- there is that. First of all, if you're going to be in the car with Trout, um, he's going to start talking about the weather. You're going to make your flight. I mean, there's just no question. That's right. He's going to be like, look, uh, everything's everything's looking clear, or he's going to say, your flight's going to be delayed by twenty two yeah, minutes. I'm that's telling right. you right up front, right now. I'm telling you that right up front. But here's the biggest scary thing with with Mookie Betts. You go to Mookie Betts, and Mookie's like, "Hey, where are you going?" And you say, "I'm going to St. Louis uh, for a convention." And he's like, "Man, St. Louis is only twelve hours away. I'll drive you." That's right. There, you know. And then you know you're putting yourself up, and there's like lots of possibilities that could happen over twelve hours. Let's be honest.
2: Yeah, I I think you're I, I just, right. Like Trout, I, what's going to happen is you're going to get a text from Trout. Like, right. he's, he's going to pick you up at 10 and your flight leaves yes. at noon. He, you're going to get a text from him that says, listen, your plane, which is an Airbus A321, uh, <laughs> is coming in from, uh, from, you know, Houston. San Francisco. It's yep. coming in from Houston. And they've had, they've had delays there because there's a thunderstorm. And uh, so, you know, the original pickup time was 10. I'm making the pickup time 10.12. Uh, So you have 12 more minutes to spend with your family because your flight's (laughs) going to be delayed by 31 minutes. Like he's it's all that's he's going to nail it like he's going to nail nail that stuff. And then, you know, look, will the ride to the airport be entertaining? No, that's not the point. (laughs) That's not what that's not what you hired Mike Trout to do is entertain you. Right. Right. You hired Mike Trout to get you where you need to be in the most efficient way possible. And that's what he's going to deliver.
1: And it'll be pleasant. It'll be perfectly pleasant. Yeah, you know, of course. In the car with yeah, it's crowd. not going to be not going to like be, be,
2: go on some it. crazy rant about QAnon or something. He's going to like, <laughs> he's going to just deliver you where you need to be at the time you need to be. And he's going to, he's going to be polite and he's going to say, thank you very much. And you're going to say, thank you. And you're going to tip him. And he's going to say, no, 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 please. I'm Mike Trout. I might no. try to make thirty-five million dollars a year. <laughs> <laughs>
1: let me tip you. In yeah. fact, let me because that's the kind of guy that he is. And then he,
2: th- and then he's. By the way, when you get out of the car, he's going to say like, "Hey, uh, try to get a seat the, on the left hand side because as you're flying, you're going to be able to see the Grand Canyon. That's uh, right. You're at that's the right. left side window because he will have he will have like entered the flight data into his computer and he'll know exactly. What well, plus gonna, he's
1: gonna- Plus, he's going to tell you that you can actually get a thousand bonus miles if you go ahead and uh, and uh, I and enter this thing. All you have to do is enter this code, and you're going to get a thousand bonus. He's, miles. He's
2: going to say, <laughs> "I took the liberty of signing you up for the Capital One American Airlines uh, bonus card, and I and I charged the flight to that card, and you're, you now." You'd have I mean, twenty eight hundred bonus miles. And by,
1: and, and by the way, uh, I found you a better Marriott. Uh, yeah, you, the, the Hyatt where you were that was on the wrong side of the road. It
2: was yeah, very difficult for you to get to the convention. Yeah, you're gonna and you're getting you're getting double <laughs> rewards points on your stay. Yeah, now that you, th- this is a no brainer, this is tra- No brainer. This, this is a Look, job for Mike Trout.
1: It's a, Mike Trout is definitely our winner here. All right, Zionist. La- we got two more. Zionist lapdog wants to know.
2: Zionist lapdog.
1: Zionist lapdog wants to know. And if, <laughs> and if you're gonna, if you're gonna answer a question, it's gonna be from Zionist lapdog.
2: <laughs> oh no! That that could mean any of a thousand things, and only about two of them are okay.
1: I'm hoping that it's one of those two. Does Rob Gronkowski know who Frederick Douglass is?
2: Does Rob Gronkowski know who Frederick Fred Douglass Douglas, is?
1: Yeah, we're, this is part of our Rob Gronkowski does he know thing, which is, you know, this the series that that we started. We didn't start it. Uh, somebody started it and yeah. uh, and told us that we thought it was very funny. So the, this is such an easy one. No, I Rob mean, I, you've got
2: to be. Uh, well, how can you even <laughs> ask this question? I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. He thinks he knows who Frederick Douglass is, and he thinks right. that he, he thinks that he's a wide receiver on the Eagles. That's that's who right. he thinks he is. He he'll go, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, I met him at the at the Pro Bowl one year or whatever. Like he like uh, that that's that's the best you could hope for. Rob Gronkowski yeah. knows Rob Gronkowski knows who about six people are. One of them is Tom Brady because everywhere he goes, Tom Brady is always there. He he might know who Bruce Arians is, maybe?
1: Oh, ooh, I don't know. I think he still calls him Bill. <laughs> don't, you think, don't you think he's just in a meeting. That's a good point, Bill. That's yeah. I just think that's that's good. You got by oh, the way, he just
2: knows him as coach. He just all of those people. Coach, are just coach. They're all from, coach from, from, all from just coach. Pee football to the president. It's just like, oh, I know who that guy is. That's coach.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say this about Rob Gronkowski, since we do poke fun at him man it it is still even now you know he's been retired he's back he's this that you know that team is like pretty shaky uh it doesn't matter you throw the ball to him and he just is going to like it doesn't matter he's no. just going to catch it he's going to absolutely he'll run over people and contort his body and and block people out it's he is an absolute absurdity it is, a, really
2: it, is. it's it's weird to see him do what he's always done Because the Tampa Bay is another team that I'm kind of rooting for, not because of Brady, just because it would be cool for like Mike Evans to play in the playoffs, which I don't think he's ever done. Uh, But it's weird to see Gronkowski do what he's always done at like, he looks like he plays like he's a podcast being played at half speed. You know, like (laughs) when everything is a little like molasses-y and kind of slowed down and like a little, like he's doing, he's still doing those crazy crossing routes and those seven routes or whatever they're called. But he uh, but it's like he's he's doing it at three quarter speed. Right. And it's and it's a little sad. Like there's something a little bit bittersweet about like when you go over the middle for for seven, eight years in that position and you and you are a, a an enormous monster who it takes five people to take you down and you've broken every bone in your body, you've broken your arm four times and you've broken your ankle and you've and you've ripped up your knee and everything. And now you're. Playing with like a hundred braces on every joint and every <laughs> every bendable part of your body has like a Kevlar vest wrapped around it. Yes, uh, it it's like this is what happens to those guys is they just take a hammering and right. and I and I like I'm happy for him if he's happy I guess but it is a little bit sad to watch a guy who was who was an unprecedented player who ha- was doing things yes. that no one has ever done before. Uh, do them at half speed. I have to say that when you watch the Chiefs and you see Travis Kelsey, you're like, "Oh, there's Gronkowski." <laughs> there's, yeah, there, there is.
1: I totally agree with that. Except for I would say that there's something. I mean, look, Kelsey is as good as there's been. I mean, you know, I mean, Kelsey is Kelsey's like a combination of Gronkowski and Tony Gonzalez, right? He's like a, like a bunch of different things. The thing that just drives me, you know, as not not somebody who has ever liked any of the teams that Gronkowski is on uh he it's like Tom Brady just throws the ball anywhere. He's like a big moving mass, yeah. you know? And it's like he just runs and then you throw it and it's like it's like it would like if his back was turned the ball would stick to his back. Like somehow he's just this big huge like there was a play yesterday uh in in the Tampa Bay game where Brady like went back to throw and then and then he he threw it and Gronkowski could not have been more covered. Just like the guy was the guy, and the guy actually had his hands on the ball. The defender at yeah. some point had his hands, on, and Gronk guys just took it away from him. Like, no, no, thank you, I'll take that. And like, that's what makes me. It, he makes me think. Of he's
2: this. a he's a giant it, magnet. It's weird. He's like an enormous magnet. He's a giant ball, magnet. The ball that's just right. sticks to that's him. That's right. I remember thinking when you see how big his hands are when he holds a football. It like it looks like me holding a Cadbury's cream egg in my hand. Like that's that's roughly the ratio. Uh, so he, it, it, it is a, a very good trait, if you are the kind of player that Gronkowski is, to have hands that are as much bigger than an NFL football as my hands are to a Cadbury cream egg.
1: It's <laughs> crazy. All right, last question. Neil wants to know, uh, would you guys be up for doing an AMA? I'm the mod for the podcast subreddit. And I only bring this up to to say, Neil, God bless you, man. There's a podcast subreddit. Fantastic, really, like, didn't the, know that. The, That's
2: wonderful. Uh,
1: you've done an AMA, right? You I have. Done yes, one.
2: I did one for the Good Place. It was, was a lot, it fun? It was a lot of fun. It's it's overwhelming because you know these questions come in fast and furious, and you have yeah. to just sort of sort through them really quickly and. And answer the ones that aren't, uh, you know, that aren't objectionable <laughs> in some way. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I had a lot of fun. I would totally do that. That's uh, all
1: right. We do it. You know, all right, Neil, Neil, we'll we'll do it. We'll we'll do it. I I've, I've not done one. I'm scared to death of them, but uh, we'll do it. We'll, 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 it's, it's the worst. The me. worst
2: part of it is, a, you have to hold up a sign that says, you know, I'm Mike Shore. I'm Joe Pazdanski. Right. We're doing this AMA. <laughs> ask us anything. And every time, if you take a picture of yourself and hold up a sign with something written on it, immediately everyone just (laughs) photoshops it and puts other messages on the sign. So when I did it, there was like, there were all these people saying like, I love hot fruit, you know, whatever. And that's that's like the worst part of it is that you get photoshopped (laughs) to within an inch of your life the second that you decide to do something like
1: that. I'm really looking forward to this. All right, Neil, we'll, we'll do it. All right.
2: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players and fans across the past, present and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's Game. It's like Game 5 of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Buck
1: Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty-corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found
2: Giannis in transition, incredible stuff. That's the NBA, that's game. This is more than just basketball, it's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA, that's game.
0: This episode is brought to you by BetMGM. Sign up today with BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic, and get a $1,000 risk-free first bet. Plus, get a free three-month subscription to The Athletic. Just sign up at betmgm.com slash theathleticpod, that's P-O-D, to take advantage of this special offer from the kings of sportsbooks. That's betmgm.com slash theathleticpod, P-O-D. New customer offer, paid in bonus dollars. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Cue the disclaimer.
1: Must be 21 years of age or older
0: to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only.
1: Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Here is, uh, here is our draft. Uh, you know, we're coming to the end of 2020, uh, thankfully. And, uh, you know, at the end of years, what people tend to do is they do these best of lists, right? They do these, these lists and charts of, of the best things of the year. So we have decided that we are going to draft the best, uh, things of the year, um, but because this is 2020, we are not going to choose this year. Uh, we are going to choose the best things of the year 1923. And uh, I believe you have the first pick.
2: Great. Um, so I'm, I didn't stick to sports. I, I assume that's No, no, fine. I think yeah. that's
1: right. No, it's everything.
2: Um, all right. My, uh, on October 15th, 1923, Italo Calvino was born. Uh, Italo Calvino is one of my favorite writers. Uh, if you don't know him, a truly, truly wonderful writer, uh, I think often overlooked when people talk about the great 20th century sort of postmodern writers. Um, if you he he did a lot of wonderful things, uh, wrote a lot of really wonderful books. He wrote a book called The Baron and the Trees, which is fantastic. His books are often deeply metaphorical. There's a book called The Non-Existent Night. It's a novella that's an incredible satire of uh, government and military. Um, he, he wrote a book called A Fawn of Winter's Night a Traveler, which is this really interesting like deconstruction of the idea of storytelling. And he also wrote, um, he did this incredible service to the history of folk literature, which is he traveled around Italy and went to like every tiny village in Italy and like told people like, tell me the folk tales that were told in this village. And he collected them all in this huge volume. It's like 900 pages long uh, of Italian folk tales. And, and they're each, you know, they're, they're just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of folktales uh, from throughout centuries of, of oral storytelling. Uh, and they, it's fascinating to read, like how they vary slightly from region to region, like different regions had different, you know, troubles and plagues and, and, and uh, you know, droughts and famines and all sorts of different stuff. And so the folktales take on these really interesting subtleties in terms of the lessons they were trying to impart um wonderful guy died in 1985 and uh and so worth reading if you've never read any of his books so that's my top thing that happened in 1923
1: it's excellent it's an excellent choice folk tales fascinating utterly fascinating yes utterly fascinating yeah it's it really is i mean what what is passed down from generation to generation i mean obviously the uh who is the who's the guy that wrote all about uh, folklore that that sort of was the influence to uh, to George Lucas to create Star Wars oh um, yeah. The, yeah we're not gonna I was, his I, name i can't <laughs> think of his name either but i've been reading been reading his stuff lately and it's uh, it's great all right uh excellent first pick my first pick the best thing to happen in the year uh, of 1923 on July 13th the hollywood sign was unveiled and it was unveiled. I think most people know as Hollywood land, that was what the sign was unveiled. I don't uh, know the full history of, of uh, what happened uh, to Hollywood land, uh, the sign. Uh, But you know, like there's, you live there, but I, I still get a little bit of a, of a joy seeing the Hollywood sign when, when it, when it's uh, clear enough to see it, Uh, it still makes me feel like I'm somewhere. I think it's kind of cool. So, uh, I'm gonna go with July 13th, the Hollywood Land sign being unveiled. That's a good.
2: That's a good pick. Uh, yeah, the Hollywood sign for for uh, you think of it as like again, it's sort of like Times Square. It's a Times Square yeah, of of that's LA, right. right? That's right. Because it's sort of like jokey and hacky to care yes. about the Hollywood sign, but when you see it, your brain does this thing where you're like, "Hey, look, it's the Hollywood sign!" Like <laughs> you can't help it. It's just like <laughs> you just it, it's a it it means something, and there's a reason that it's in every montage, anytime in any movie or TV show. When people go to L.A., you always include the Hollywood sign in yes. that montage, and like uh, it's just it's become that thing for Los Angeles. And
1: absolutely, uh, yeah, uh,
2: very good. Um, all right, my second pick: West Montgomery was born. West Montgomery, uh, one of the great uh, and and largely in in many circles overlooked guitarists uh, in history. West Montgomery is, I think, I'm not a huge jazz guy. It's never been my thing. I never got super into jazz. But when I was a kid, I had an uncle who was really into jazz and he had all these tapes of West Montgomery. And I used to listen to them and still do listen to them a lot. He is an incredible guitarist, I think for my money. And this is not knowledgeable money here. So I, I'm <laughs> sure there's 50 jazz guitarists who are better than West Montgomery. But I I think he's incredible. And uh, and he was born on March 6th, 1923. He died very young. He died when he was only like 45. Uh, but if you, I, I, I'm saying this to, to people out there like me, who aren't big jazz people, uh, listen to like a couple West Montgomery tracks and you may, you may find an, an entry point into a little corner of jazz that you might not have otherwise found.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. West Montgomery. Very cool. Very cool. All right. That's a good pick. Uh, my second pick, uh, I don't have a, a date on it, uh, but, uh, Oh, yeah, July 13th. July 13th. In fact, the same day that the Hollywood Sun was. uh interesting. Uh, yeah. How cool is this? Uh, the American Museum of Natural History, on their expedition to Central Asia, discovered dinosaur eggs for the first time. Now, as it turns out, it was not the first time they had discovered eggs in the 1800s, uh, but they were unaware that they were dinosaur eggs and did not know that until long after this. So it was the first time that they had discovered dinosaur eggs knowing full well what they were discovering while it was yeah. happening which is unbelievably cool and uh and it's it's very very cool and uh there's a great story behind it that i will not go into uh but uh, but it involved uh uh sort of how they were trying to convince each other you know the they were basically were just they were saying well these, these could be dinosaur eggs and they were just each every person was like taking a stab at trying to figure out a way that they were not dinosaur eggs, uh, which is really, which is really cool. Like it was like by process of elimination, they just kept knocking out like it couldn't be this. It couldn't be this. It couldn't be this. It couldn't be this. this." Uh, And, uh, and uh, they ended up discovering one of the coolest uh, things of the 20th century, uh, right there in uh, in Central Asia on July thirteenth, nineteen twenty three.
2: We should have just done the top ten things that happened on July thirteenth, nineteen twenty three. That would have been <laughs> how about that? Up. Yeah, how
1: about that? Very um, cool.
2: I'll go to sports uh, or sports adjacent. April twenty eighth, Wembley Stadium opens its doors oh, for the huge, first time huge. in London. Uh, it was an FA Cup final between the Bolton Wanderers and West Ham United right uh, which is wonderful that gives you that, that gives you, <laughs> that gives you <laughs> if you're a premier league uh follower that is a very funny uh fa cup final bolton yes. versus west ham it's it shows you how long ago 1923 was <laughs> that bolton and west ham were fighting it out but uh, wembley stadium one of the iconic uh, sports venues and entertainment venues in the world i did had no idea it was that old i had no idea it was a hundred years old that's crazy yeah. i mean i'm sure it's been redone Fifty times since April twenty eighth, nineteen twenty three. But Wembley Stadium opening. Think of all of the incredible things that have happened at Wembley Stadium, uh, including the London Olympics uh, opening ceremonies and all of the all of the uh, sporting events. All of the now the NFL plays there, right? Whenever they go there, um, it's a it's a it's probably among what a, it's probably the, among the top five or ten sports venues in the world, right? Wouldn't you say, Wembley Stadium?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's and it's and it's one of those places where you walk in. You've been to Wembley. I've never been. Uh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah, you need to go. Yeah. It's one of those places you go in and you know you're somewhere. I mean, there's like there are probably not that many for for Americans places where you you know you would you would say, Oh my gosh, I'm in an unbelievably historic place. But but Wembley, it just feels it. You just feel that when you're when you're inside there. That's a great thing. What's really interesting is I was not going to pick this and will not pick this just cuz it's opposed to the uh to the podcast uh ethos but 10 days earlier of Yankee Stadium opened April 18th 1923 the the first Yankee Stadium opened which is by the way nothing to do with today's Yankee Stadium but uh that's really quite incredible, actually, that, that Yankee Stadium and Wembley would would open up within 10 days of each well, other. Well, you, really...
2: you kind of ruined the end of this, but I was going to nominate that oh. as, the wor- as the worst thing that happened in 1923. <laughs> well, that's
1: what I was going to say. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. It's funny. My daughter did the research for this. I'm going to give her the phone for almost all of these. My daughter, Elizabeth, uh, looked up 1923 for me. And she was so excited coming up to tell me, "Oh my gosh, I got a great sports one for you." The Yankee Stadium opened up, and I'm like, "I can't use that." No, like, <laughs> like I can't use that. But it is really cool. I did, I and I did not. She did not include Wembley on there. I mean, mm. she would not. You know, so just because she wouldn't have known. But that's really, that's really cool. All right, very good. All right, my third pick, uh, October sixteenth. Walt and Roy founded Disney, October 16th, 1923. Don't need to say a whole lot about that. Uh, Disney is, uh, it's not quite as big as Fremulon, but, but pretty big. Uh, And, uh, and uh, that's when it began.
2: I was going to say Disney and Warner Brothers were, were founded in the same year. Oh, I didn't know that. So I think, I think you should Ah. give, uh, Goodell has already ruled on this. You're allowed to also take the founding of Warner Brothers. Two of the, two of, Two of the great film studios, obviously in uh, ever. in, in yeah. American history, yeah. ever, yeah. Well, found in the same year, only about a, a few months apart. Wow. Yeah, Warner Brothers was incorporated on April fourth, so that's pretty amazing that there's two. I mean, there are two film studios here in uh, in LA who um, who are about to celebrate joint hundredth anniversaries. Huh. Uh, it's pretty amazing you know, that, that to be around that long. Interesting thing about Disney. Disney's the only one of the major film studios that has never been, I believe this is true, has never been purchased. It is, it buys other things, but no one has ever bought
1: interesting.
2: it. Um, yeah, like Warner Brothers has recently, you know, AT&T bought all right. of Warner Entertainment, um, you know, and and obviously Universal has been bought and sold a hundred times. Yeah. And, uh, but Disney has never been purchased. No one has ever bought Disney, which is kind of an interesting little footnote. It is
1: interesting. That's, yeah, yeah, I like that. All
2: right. Um. Uh, all right. My fourth pick, obviously, uh, it's a little weird that this has lasted this long into the draft, but I'll just, uh, I'll take it now. It's a steal at the, at the fourth pick. On February 5th, American cricketer Bill Ponsford made 429 runs to break the world record for the highest first-class cricket score oh. for the first time in his third match at, at the Melbourne C- uh, Cricket Ground, giving the Victoria Cricket team an innings total of 1,059. Wow. I mean, that is... That is everyone. I, obviously, it's one of those things. It's like the moon landing or JFK being shot. Everybody right. remembers where he or she was when Bill Ponsford made 429 to break the record for the highest first class cricket score. Uh, but, yeah, it was February 5th uh, of 1923 is when that happened. I, for, I had forgotten it was in 1923. I, well, so it's funny, it's well like I knew it was
1: February 5th. Could we celebrate it every year right I mean, that's right like we, every year a, we do you a, have
2: a big party at your house right and, right and, uh, right and sadly had to be canceled this year because of covid yeah, but, but you have a big party and there's obviously fireworks every every city of pretty course much does fireworks of course of well we level. do
1: that special podcast um, for it everybody knows that everybody, everybody everybody's right, aware yeah. of, of that i really thought that you were going to hold off and i was going to be able to steal that in the fifth round i, I don't know why it really probably should have gone earlier than this
2: I sensed that you were going to pick it next, so I had to salute it. Yeah,
1: no, that was the right call. All right. With my fourth pick, I am going to choose... um, Oh, so many great choices. What a great year. What a great year this has been. Um, (laughs) I'm going to choose Billy Jones' release of the song, Yes, We Have No Bananas, as my my, Mm. uh, fourth pick. That song, first of all, I don't... It's like you look at the list of the great songs or the the most popular songs i guess of 1923 and you don't know them like most of those songs i mean it's possible you'll you know if you're a if you're a certain kind of a music fan but generally speaking you're not going to know these songs but somehow we still know, yes, you have no, we have no bananas. Like I, I don't have any idea when I heard that song. I have no idea why I heard that song. I don't know what it was in that made me like, was it was not in a commercial? Was it in like a movie that I, I don't know, but I, I hear those words. Yes, we have no bananas. I can basically sing the song. Uh, it is, it is a timeless classic of complete nonsense. And uh, 1923 is when it came out.
2: Interesting. Um, all right. I didn't know that. Um, all right. The final one I'm going to pick is uh, on May 9th, uh, Bertolt Brecht uh, premiered his play in the jungle. Sure. Uh, in Munich. And it was interrupted by Nazi demonstrators. It's a, it's a, uh, one of the earliest kind of examples of the Nazis uh, uh, war on art um, in general. Um, but the interruption by uh, Nazis isn't the reason that I picked it. The play in the jungle I read in college and it takes place in Chicago and Brecht had never been to Chicago and didn't know anything about Chicago really. Uh, and he had this, uh, his, his sort of artistic worldview, if I remember correctly, and I may not, was called the Verfremdungs effect. And it was this idea of alienation. It was like he, his thing was he wanted to constantly remind people. That they were watching a play. It wasn't. He he objected to the idea that theater was supposed to be immersive, and that you were supposed to lose yourself and and like become emotionally involved in the lives of the characters. He he wanted to alienate the audience by kind of by uh, reminding them that they were looking at something artificial. And uh, and that this was one of his first plays, I think. And and uh, and he had never been to Chicago and. and his response when people would ask him why you set this like, how could you set a play in Chicago when you've never been there was basically like, I don't have to go. I can imagine what Chicago is. Why can't I use my imagination and imagine what Chicago is? Uh, and it's, it was like a very early example of like what came to be known as postmodern theater, which was this kind of like tearing down of these old romantic views of what art was and what theater was and, and how it should affect you. Um, he, he thought it shouldn't affect you emotionally. It should affect you more like, in a sort of like intellectual or kind of like um I don't know what you would call it an, an alienated way uh and I got really into postmodern theater when I was in college and I remember reading that play and thinking it was really cool and interesting that you know you're supposed to the old adage is you write what you know and his adage was exactly the opposite he, yeah. he thought you should write what you did, didn't know uh and so that debut is very meaningful in the history of theater it's-
1: Awesome, absolutely. It's. I mean, it's not awesome. I mean, it's obviously uh, uh, troubling in so many ways. But I mean, it's. Yes, I mean, it's a. It's a huge, huge moment. Absolutely huge moment. All right. With my fifth pick, I am going to also choose choose a huge moment. Uh, on uh, February sixteenth, nineteen twenty three, King Tut's burial chamber was opened. Uh, mm. That is a really it's a really cool story. It's like one of my favorite little things about the story about King Tut's chamber is that innate, they, they, you know, there, there had always been these rumors and, and, you know, most of the, most of the, uh, the, the, the different chambers and things that, that people were hoping to find, um, had been long ruined. They'd been stolen. Everything had been stolen and yeah, ransacked and all of that. So, in 1891 they're looking around and they suddenly find uh steps <laughs> like like completely found, like, hey hey there's some steps here I mean it's it sounds to me totally like a scooby-doo thing like hey there are steps so they they take these steps I guess in November is when they fail 1891 is when they began. And, uh, and then in 1922, November of 1922, they found these steps and they're like, Oh, where do these steps lead? And they take the steps and they go up. And then on February 16th, they open up the chamber and find it's immaculate, just absolutely immaculate with all of the, the shrines and the jewelry and the, and the statues and, and weapons. And I mean, it's absolutely preserved perfectly. And of course it is, uh, at the heart of so much of what we know about, uh, about ancient Egypt and, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, that time it's what, I mean, that, that to me is what, like why you would become an archeologist and the chances of it actually happening to you are virtually nil. But like that one moment where you're like, Hey, there are steps here. And then you just have the steps go up and, and, uh, and, and lead you to this, uh, immaculate, uh, uh chamber with, the uh, with King Tut's 2 minute i mean come on that's that's just in my awesome.
2: in my imagination uh they were just they just it was right behind them and they just never <laughs> turned around like they were only looking in one direction. They just stumbled into For, it, right?
1: They just kind of like, they just, they just hey. For
2: just months, months and months and months, they were only looking at the northern wall. And then one day they turned around to leave and were like, oh my God, look at the southern wall. There are steps leading up
1: there. That's so cool. Yeah. No, I love By
2: that. the way, also also born in uh, 1923, Chuck Yeager. Yes. That deserves an honorable Bob mention. Barker. Uh, Bob Barker. Bob Barker. Bob Barker. Born in 1923. And Zeffirelli, the, uh, the Italian uh, film director, famous Italian film director who just died like a year ago i think that's right uh lots of i mean this this is why charles durning was born in 1923 there's a lot of that, this is why we chose 1923 yes, of obviously, course is because of course it, it was most <laughs> people agree it's probably the most important year of the last 500 years.
1: Or yeah so. it wasn't a complete just like oh what year should we choose let's choose something obscure like 1923. No, it wasn't no. that no we knew we that-
2: definitely we definitely weren't texting and I definitely didn't just say how about we pick a random year like 1923 <laughs> that's not how that, that, that happened. is the
1: one thing we can say for sure didn't happen right because I mean, we because you look we haven't even gotten to Clarence Eye. Birdseye invents frozen food in nineteen twenty three. Right. Although that is mm-hmm. controversial whether it was twenty two or twenty-three, but but you know, uh Garrett A. Morgan invents the traffic signal in nineteen twenty-three. Sure. Sure. Of course. I mean, I think we all know that. The first patent for a television system uh mm-hmm. in nineteen twenty three, of course.
2: Interpol. Interpol was founded Interpol, in nineteen twenty three in right. September. That's right. Uh I mean, um uh, the, there, so the cotton swab,
1: the cotton swab invented in nineteen twenty three.
2: Nobody nobody could forget that. The crown prince of Japan was almost assassinated, but survived.
1: Survived. Lots and lots and lots of fascist things happened in 1923. Tons of
2: fascist things. Yeah, there's a lot of fascism in 1923.
1: We really had to sort of comb through the fascism to get to our 1923 top Also, list. by the way,
2: the, the first ever play-by-play of an ice hockey game. That's right.
1: That's right. It was
2: the Edmonton Eskimos, as everyone remembers, uh, of the Western Canada Hockey League. Uh, played the Regina Capitals. Sure, and uh, it was a Pete Pete Parker, I believe, was the guy who called the game. Was on it? The, it on the radio. Was it Pete? It was Pete it, Parker. It yes. was yeah. Pete
1: Parker. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I I gotta say, this is definitely the best uh, year end list. I would say of of I mean, uh, easily.
2: That's Mount Etna erupted. By the way, Mount Etna. Yes, erupted in that's right. That was a huge deal. That was
1: huge. The bull. Uh, um, the uh, the instant camera was, was invented right. in 1923. In, in and also um,
2: uh, something that we didn't uh, pick just out of uh, in 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 honor of the dead is uh, large hailstones killed 23 people oh in Rostov gosh. Soviet Union on July 10th. <laughs> God,
1: that was so bad. That was yeah. just, I mean, large hailstones for crying out loud.
2: Oh, <laughs> well, Harding died? Harding died and Coolidge was sworn That's in. That's right.
1: In That's right. That yeah. was 23.
2: Mm-hmm. Unbelievable year. Yeah, I mean it's it's probably again the most important
1: year. I think it's I the most say. important it's, year, which is why I, I think I it, yeah. think it's it's clearly the most important year. Alright, time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing
0: to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael No Diet Coke for Joe The podcast, whoa It's one last whoa
1: Meaningless thing I'll start because my my meaningless thing is is feeding off of an old meaningless thing of yours which was that this year uh, my wife uh, having uh, been uh, recommended by, although she didn't actually listen to the podcast, I told her what you had said on your one last meaningless thing. She she never listens to this. Has Why your, would she? Has your wife ever even heard one word of this podcast? I don't think my wife knows I do this podcast. <laughs> and, and it's so much better that way. It's so yeah. My wife used to, for those of you who have been long time, Uh, listeners to this absurdity. Uh, My wife used to to produce it. So she actually heard the early ones. So she knew better once she has not heard one in God, it's gotta be 10 years since she's heard one and she never will again. Um, But I did tell her what you had said. And I told her that your one last meaningless thing had been the delight of, uh, of getting uh, slippers as a gift. And Mm -hmm. uh, she remembered this and, uh, she got me, uh, slippers this year, uh, for, for the holidays and, uh, I got to give it up team. man. Got to give it up. Yeah. They're, I'm they're just delightful. They're just, just delightful. they're just delightful. They are. They just are. And, and I walk around in, in those slippers and my kids tell me that I look a thousand years old and I just smile and say, my feet are so warm. It's like the yep. best. It's the best.
2: It is a you resist it because you think it's going to make you old and then you put them on and you feel old and you're so happy.
1: (laughs) It's exactly right. It's exactly the thing you feared is the thing that makes them the best.
2: That's right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. They're wonderful. Um, My one last meeting this thing is a Nick Offerman callback. Nick Offerman, uh, we did an episode of Parks and Rec, uh, obviously, years ago where he went on uh, this local cable access talk show and ended up. Uh, just taking calls from people and giving them advice about all sorts of different aspects of their lives, um, because he's a font of wisdom. Right. Ron Swanson is uh, like a, uh, one of my favorites is and it was like a sort of rapid fire. He started taking questions that so we just sort of did a rapid fire thing where he was just responding to unheard questions. <laughs> and he said uh, one of one of my favorites is um, uh, any uh, any dog less than 20 pounds, uh, get a big dog. Uh, any, any dog less than 20 pounds is a cat and cats are pointless. <laughs> Next question. Uh, so it was just stuff like that. But one of the things he did was we, we would often do this with Nick. We would say like, just, um, give some advice on, on woodworking. Uh, and so he, we had, he had someone call in and they said he, that they'd scratched a piece of furniture and they wanted to know how to get rid of the, the unsightly scratch. And Nick said, you want to take a Walnut uh and you want to rub it on the on the scratch because walnuts have uh you know walnut oil is a uh, it'll sort of cover it's like a it's like a a natural um i don't know what you would call it like almost like a finish and so huh. you can if you have a scratch in your furniture uh you can rub a, depending on, on how dark the wood is obviously you can rub a walnut on a scratch and it'll sort of almost it it doesn't buff out the scratch but it, it masks the the side of the scratch so i have this desk in my office And the wood's a little darker than walnut wood. But it it recently had a a little scratch in it. And I remembered that. And I went and got it. We had a walnut. (laughs) I got the (laughs) walnut. And I buffed it. I, I ran it over the scratch, and it didn't completely uh, get rid of it because again, the wood's a little too dark. But it did a really good and effective job of uh, of masking this unsightly scratch. So wow. uh, it's a hot hot woodworking tip from from eight years ago or something from uh, from Ron Swanson <laughs> on Parks and Recreation. If you have a scratch in your wood. Rub a walnut over it. Not the shell, mind you. The actual nut. The actual nut. Uh, yeah, you don't want you don't want to rub the walnut shell. That would that would probably scratch it worse. Yeah. But the actual nut. This is a life nut, hack. It really is a great life hack, yeah. It's a life
1: yeah, it's hack right there from Ron Swanson. Oh, so delightful. All right, we did it. We got through 2020. We're almost done. We're almost out. Are we out?
2: We're out. Uh, what is it? What we got like 10 days left, 11 days left. Yeah. So congratulations, everyone out there for making it through hopefully making it through the last 11 days of 2020. <laughs> and we'll, I guess, see you in 2021.
0: I hope so. Mike, as always, thank you.
2: Thanks for having
0: me. The presenting sponsor of today's show is Tops.com and Tops Project 70. Tops is celebrating the 70th anniversary of its very first baseball card design with a new program that pushes boundaries while also paying homage to their heritage. Founded in 1938 as a chewing gum company, Tops released their first baseball card set in 1951. Now, seven decades later, Topps has teamed up with 51 artists and creatives from around the globe to revisit and reimagine 70 years of Topps' most iconic baseball card designs through a year-long program called Project 70. Each artist will select their own MLB players and Topps designs from any year to craft a unique story. Ever wanted to know what Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle would look like in a 1980s Topps design? Or how about Fernando Tatis Jr. in the 1950s? Now you can. Three new cards launch daily all year long on Tops.com, and are only available for 70 hours before they're gone for good. While you're there, on the lookout for special cards, each card drop includes rainbow foil editions numbered 1-70 to randomly inserted into each card's print run as well as one of one gold frame edition given to a lucky purchaser. Exclusive artist-proof editions numbered to 51 featuring a silver frame are also available for purchase for every single card. But hurry, as those sell out shortly after each card is launched. So look, head to tops.com to learn more about Project 70 and to check out which cards are live right now.